All right, open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11 and verse 1. And in your left hand, you can get Matthew 26, which is where we will spend most of our time this morning. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. We'll just read that one verse. And then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Luke 11 and verse 1. As you're finding that... I've already mentioned that you have an outline, and as I've been telling you, it's not mandatory that you use it. Um, If you want to follow along and fill things in as you go, maybe it helps you remember it through the week or even through the day, for that matter. Uh, Please forgive me. This is just how things go. I've written on here Peter's prayer life. Would you do me a favor, and if, if you're using the outline, you can just cross out the word life and put journal I changed my mind after I printed these up on the, na- on the name of the sermon, Peter's Prayer Journal. Those of you watching at home, you already see the correct title on the screen. But that's going to be the title this morning, Peter's Prayer Journal. Luke 11 and verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as he, that's Jesus, as he was praying in a certain place, When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And that last part of the verse, the request that was made to Jesus will be the focus of our sermon today. Lord, teach us to pray. We're going to see in Peter's life some of the lessons that he learned If Peter kept a prayer journal, I don't know if he did, we're going to see, I think, some of the entries that he would have made into that journal. So before we get into the sermon, let's bow our heads together, please, and let's pray. Father, thank you this morning. We're able to gather in the coolness of the morning. Thank you, Father, for this privilege to open up the Word of God and learn about how we can speak to you, how we can hear from you. We... Lord, are always in need of lessons about prayer. There's always more to learn about this subject. Please teach us this morning to pray. Remind us this morning of how crucial it is. Father, please fill me with your spirit and give us all ears to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can turn over to Matthew 26, and we'll be starting in verse 36 and reading several verses today. Matthew 26 and verse 36. At the beginning of lockdown, I decided to start something that I've never personally done. I've heard of this many times, and uh, I've just always, it's, it's never been my thing. But I thought, you know, let me give it a shot. With lockdown coming into effect, I don't get to see people, obviously. You didn't get to see people as often as you'd like. But I still wanted to see God move and God work and I thought what a wonderful time to learn about the power of prayer right of all times to learn how to move a mountain through prayer right I can't get out there and do it with my hands it's not regulated I I might you know give COVID to the mountain so I got to pray I got to pray over this mountain and we're I'm just going to have to see God work and move through prayer. So I decided, let me keep a journal. Never done that before. Have a little extra time. That was the big thing for me is the time, I, just to sit there and write it down. 
never had that. So I thought, well, I have extra time. So uh, somebody had given me a special journal uh, for Christmas. I thought, let me, I was sitting on the shelf not doing anything. So I started to put people's names uh, on one page after another. And I would contact them and say, what can I pray about for you? And then put those things on the list. And then as, as life would go on, I'd try to check up or maybe they would report back and say, thank you for praying this and this happened. And I would keep records in the journal. Very interesting to see just how much God does in prayer. Very interesting. Very interesting. I don't know if Peter kept a prayer journal, but if he did, wouldn't that be handy to get your hands on that and find out some of the lessons that the Apostle Peter, who walked with Christ, to, to just peek into the journal for a few minutes and see what did he learn about prayers. Let's see today in this sermon, in this passage, maybe some of the entries that he would have put in there. Matthew 26 and verse 36, it says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Now, bear in mind, the Garden of Gethsemane was a familiar place to the disciples and to Jesus. When you read about this story in John chapter 18, the Bible says that Jesus was known to go there with his disciples. So this was not the first time that they had entered into this classroom to have a lesson about prayer. The disciples were used to this. They may not have been used to entering the prayer closet at 12 midnight. That's the time of day that you're, that you're reading about here. So this is obviously a slightly unusual and extraordinary circumstance. But nevertheless, here the disciples find themselves with this chance to learn something great about prayer. I can see maybe Peter pulling out his journal and saying, I've been invited to pray again. That's kind of exciting by itself, isn't it? To know that the Master, that the Messiah, the, the Son of God has invited me to enter in with Him into this special time of prayer. Now for Peter, it gets even better. Verse 37, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that'll be James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. So there's the... 11, mind you, Judas is now out of the picture. So there's the 11. Eight of them stay in one place and they're having their own little group prayer meeting. Jesus takes the inner circle. There was an inner core to the, uh, to the group of apostles. Peter, James, and John, he says, you three guys c come with me. And as they go a little further, they can see that Jesus, his countenance changes, his, let's call it his mood changes, the, the weight of what's about to happen to him is starting to set in. And Jesus had been aware of it, but it's really, Gethsemane means an oil press. Jesus is starting to feel the pressure, the weight of the sins of the world being put onto him. And his disciples, I would assume, can see that it's happening as well. He, so I can see maybe Peter takes the journal out again and says, I'm going a little further this time. It's not just that I've been invited. Everybody got invited, but I'm going a little deeper, going in deep, you know. This is, this is going to be something special. Now, as we continue to read verse 38, Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. 
tarry ye here and watch with me. So he leaves the three of the inner core in their own spot, and Jesus will go a little farther. As you can see in verse 39, and he went a little further. So Jesus is by himself. He's going to have a private conversation with the Lord, and he leaves those three to pray and watch, it says at the end of verse 38, he says, watch with me. Tarry ye here and watch with me. You guys, even though we're not geographically in the same exact spot, we are still praying together. You're still watching with me. Watch. He didn't say just pray. He said watch. Which indicates that when you pray, you have to pay attention to what's going on around you. Wonderful lesson about prayer. You don't just go in and start reading God your grocery list. Say, God, here's the list. Here's what I need you to do. And, you know, just push in the magic buttons and out comes all of the requests, oh, you know, all, all of the answers. That's not how prayer works. You go into the prayer closet and you watch and you, and you see, oh, he's very sorrowful. There's something heavy on his heart. She's going through that. He's going through this. Lord, how, what do we do about it? And you watch, you pay attention to what's going on. Maybe Peter takes his journal out and says, pay attention. <laughs> Little, you know, note to self, pay attention. <laughs> this is a big deal. I think as Peter is in the garden here for who knows how many, how many times he's been there before. Maybe he writes in the journal, classes in session. Time to learn. And man, if you've ever, you've heard the expression being thrown into the deep end, they're in the deep end right here. This night, the night before Jesus is going to the cross, you realize this is the pivotal moment in all of human history. There is no greater moment than this. This is it. This is it. This is where all of history is going to change. Peter, James, and John are a part of it. Jesus has invited them to come pray. He is, Jesus has thrown them into the deep end of this classroom. You want to learn about prayer? You ask me to teach you about prayer? Okay. Come out here with me. Let's, let's talk to God together. Let's pray about this circumstance together. I don't know if you've ever watched anybody try to teach their kids to swim. I did not do this with my children. I taught them to swim, but I didn't do this. Where some, some, I've never seen a mom do this. This is more of a dad thing, I think. You, you guys already know what I'm going to say, don't you? Where they take the child, and, and I, I don't think they're purposely trying to be mean or anything, but they just want, this is how they believe it should be done. They take that child out to the deep end of the swimming pool, and whing, and booty goes flying, splash. Swim, booty, swim. <laughs> dad is on the side of the pool going, come on, booty, come on, come on. You know, kick, kick, swim, move your arms. Stop blowing bubbles, get over the water, go. <laughs> Mom is on the other side of the pool going crazy. Ah, I'm going to get in. You know, she's going to jump in and help. I, I don't know if that's always the best way to teach somebody to swim, right? Like I said, me personally, I found that a bit, a bit harsh. But you know, some lessons in life, sometimes you get thrown into the deep end. Sometimes, especially when it comes to prayer, there's only so much you can learn from textbooks. There's only so much you're going to learn about prayer reading the Bible or listening to a sermon about it. Sometimes 
life is going to throw you into the deep end and you're just going to have to swim your way through it. Peter has been thrown into the deep end of it. Watch in verse 39 as we continue. It says, And he, Jesus, went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. I really considered shifting my sermon to just focus on that because the lessons you can learn from that one verse about prayer I think we could make an entire one hour lesson on that prayer you can see in this verse there's a negotiation going on do you see that there's a negotiation prayer is a conversation it's a negotiation now let's be careful here because some people they talk about prayer as a conversation, they, I think they take it a little too flippantly. And they say, well, Jesus is your buddy. He's your friend. So just talk to him like he's your friend. Amen. Jesus is your friend. But wow, is he so much more than a friend. When, when you approach God in prayer, yes, he is a loving father and he is a friend and he cares about what you're going through, but let's not forget he's the king of the universe. He's the almighty God, which was and is and is to come, the sovereign. When you approach him, you have to approach all of God, not just one little aspect of him. But also bear in mind, in this one verse, we see that the mind of God can be moved through prayer. So how, how would you learn that? Why would Jesus make the request if he knew that there's no way God would ever change his mind? The fact that Jesus vocalized this shows that God can be negotiated with. Now, we already knew this from other places in the Bible, right? Abraham, the chief negotiator of the Jewish people. <laughs> he goes to God and says, will you spare Sodom for 50 righteous? Remember that, the negotiating? Oh, what about 45? What about 40? Okay, what about 30, 20? You know, he, he works him on down. What about 10? And the Lord finally says, I'll, I'll settle at 10. You're able to converse and negotiate. There's something else you need to see about, about this prayer time. Now, we're not focusing on Jesus' prayer as much as we are Peter's lessons here. But look in verse 40. It says, He cometh unto, his, unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto who? Peter. He directly addresses Peter, which is why I've named the sermon Peter's Prayer Journal and not just any other disciple. He aims his comment at Peter and says, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Now this tells me something else. And I, forgive me, I don't mean to get off topic, but it tells me something else about the prayer that Jesus has made in this time. We have what, two sentences? One sentence? Father, if it's possible, not my will, thine be done. That's, is that all he said in the hour? Well, we don't have any other information about what he said. I can assume that there maybe was more, but let's say this, that when you pray, you put forth the idea to God and then you listen. It's a big part of prayer. You, you put the prayer request out there and then you watch how God reacts to it. So how do you watch that? You, you, you wait for the peace of God to move into your heart. 
You wait for the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. You, you just watch and see what God does with that request. As I said, we're not focusing on that. Jesus turns his attention to Peter and says, could you not watch with me for one hour? Verse 41, watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Point number one on your outline if you're filling it out. Point number one, flesh hates it. I think right about this point, Peter opens up his journal and he begins to write. He says, I learned something about prayer tonight. My flesh hates it. (laughs) My flesh hates it. Notice something else about the verse, however. I want to be nice and balanced about this. Jesus acknowledges that Peter is willing. Do you see that? I think everybody here this morning would generally agree with this. I I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I think this is generally true for the people that uh, attend our church, that you folks know that prayer is important, that you would like to participate in it. You would like to have a, a healthy prayer life. I think we all know that. Yeah, that's not something that I need to convince you of. The Spirit, and we're talking about your human spirit, is willing. There's a part of you that acknowledges just how important prayer is, but how do we get from that to actually doing it? The problem, the stumbling block for all of us is this flesh. The flesh just hates prayer. The flesh is weak about this. I think what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 7 fits perfectly here. Paul said there, the good that I would, I do not. (laughs) Doesn't that fit now? What Paul said there fits a multitude of things, but doesn't that fit nicely for prayer? Because we know that we should engage in it, learn about it, but wow, how do we actually do it? Why does the flesh hate it so much? The flesh, all of us, right? All flesh is grass, so we all share the same struggle. The flesh likes to work with things that are physical, temporal, and visible. And prayer is none of those things. As soon as you enter into a state of prayer, you have entered into a spiritual exercise. Completely spiritual. The flesh, the physical world, the visible world has no bearing on what's happening in prayer. Now listen to another verse that Paul gave us that I think will shed light on why the flesh hates it so much. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. It says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. So if you want to know about the things of the Spirit of God, you You cannot understand them with a physical, natural, carnal mind. The flesh looks at prayer and says, this makes no sense. I can't see it, touch it, taste it. I I can't move anything in this physical realm to, to do something about this, so why am I participating in it? I exist in the physical. How do I have any bearing in the spiritual? The flesh just doesn't get it, and therefore we can easily become frustrated because, ah, I just can't wrap my hands around it. 
I can't grasp this concept. I, 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 hope, I hope you share this sentiment with me. It'll make me feel a lot better if you do. Is it strange that I find comfort in knowing that the disciples of Jesus struggled with prayer? <laughs> Is that, I, I feel a little conviction for that. I, I'm almost glad that they struggled too. <laughs> Here are the very best of the best when we're talking about disciples, right? The followers of Christ, they were there with him. They watched him pray. They prayed with him on a number of occasions and they struggled. Now, I'm not trying to say that that condones any sort of lack of prayer or effort on my part. It's just, it makes me feel a little bit better that if the best of the best struggled with it, well, no wonder I also struggle with it. I want to be careful about this because I have heard a number of preachers come to this passage and as soon as they read verse 40 where Jesus said, could you not watch with me one hour? They take this, and, and I think they're well-intentioned, but it's a, it's a dangerous thing to do, to say, can't you pray an hour every day? And this creates a bit of a false expectation and a false conviction, I think. And I speak by experience, because I heard this preaching, and I tried to apply it in my own life. And I thought, if I could just pray for an hour every day, then the flesh will be put down and I will become an expert at prayer. Guess what? I tried it. I set aside the time and I spent that hour every day in the prayer closet and all of a sudden after doing this for months, I, I took a look at all, all of my efforts and thought, I'm not an expert. <laughs> my flesh still hates it. <laughs> I'm not getting any better at this. Did you know it's not a matter of quantity? Is it okay? Are we safe if I say that? I, because I don't, wanna, I, I don't want you to swing the other way and say, well, you know, I'll just wake up and say, good morning, God, now I've prayed. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want you to have that attitude either. You need to spend real time in prayer, but let's make sure it's quality. Yeah. Quality time. It's not a matter of quantity. Don't get it in your head that if I just spent this long in prayer, then I'm going to get good at it. That's not the case. Let me make another statement I think that will help because this is a lesson I've had to learn the hard way. Um, don't worry about praying enough. Now let me unpack that a little bit. You will never pray enough. You know, somebody comes to you and says, I don't think you pray enough. Well, amen, I don't. <laughs> Neither do you. No, no one does. How, how can we ever... Again, it speaks to the quantity of it, right? We're trying to quantify it. How do you pray enough? Pray without ceasing. <laughs> Continue instant in prayer. There will always be a need for more prayer. So the idea of you need to pray more, yes. But if that's the, if that's the mantra that I have going in my head, I've got to pray more, I've got to pray more, I've got to pray more, you're going to stay under constant conviction and you're never going to actually make any progress in prayer. You're, going, you're not going to enjoy the prayer closet. All the time you're with God, you're going to be thinking, I'm not doing it enough. I'm not doing it right. I'm, I'm not good at this. Do not think that because you're struggling with it and because your flesh hates it, that you're not doing it right. Let me say that again. 
Just because your flesh hates it and you struggle with it, that doesn't mean that you're not doing it right. The very best of the best. Here are Jesus' closest, closest disciples. And yet on the most important night of human history, they struggled with it. Chances are we are also going to struggle with it. I don't think that if you were to open Peter's prayer journal, I don't think you'll ever find the entry where Peter said, Aha, today I figured out prayer. All the way to his death, I'm sure that he could still be saint, still learning about prayer, still amazed at what happened with prayer. Flesh still struggles with prayer. It's part of the human experience. It doesn't mean you're failing at prayer. It means you're human. It means you're human. And until the day Jesus calls us home, you, you are going to have to put the flesh down, crucify the flesh, and say, I may not understand everything happening in the spiritual realm, but I'm going to watch, wait, and I'm going to put effort into prayer. The flesh hates it. We have to accept that and work through it. You know what I like about verse 41? I, I'll, let you, I'll let you have your own observation of this verse. I, me personally, when I read this, I don't read it as Jesus being angry. I don't. I, I read verse 41 not as a rebuke so much as concern. Do, do you see where I'm getting that? Watch and pray. Jesus rebuked his disciples on many occasions. That was, that was not a, a, a strange thing for him to do. This is not the typical rebuke. I don't think it's a rebuke at all. I think he's not angry, he's concerned. When he sees his disciples with a willing spirit, but the flesh is presenting a problem out of concern, he reminds them, guys, listen, don't let the flesh get the better of you. Work through this. Take this serious. Point number two, as we continue on, point number two, and we're going to have to do a little bit of reading to get down to this point, but if you want to fill in the blank, fix it ourselves. Fix it ourselves. I think that would be the next entry in Peter's journal. Prayer didn't work, so I'm just going to fix it myself. Let's, let's read a little bit. Verse 42, he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Still struggling with it. They've heard sermon after sermon about it, still struggling with it. Verse 44, and he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. We just don't have the time this morning to, to talk about all of it. Even Jesus had to pray about some things multiple times. Isn't that a good lesson about prayer? You're not always going to get the answers you're seeking for the first time you ask. Even Jesus had to repeat it sometimes. Verse 45, Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. As he says this, Judas is coming with the soldiers to arrest him. So he says, rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. The, the opportunity, the time to pray about that situation has passed. 
the disciples missed their chance to pray about this as they should have. Verse 47, And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Now, verse 51, we know it's Peter. You find this, I believe, in Luke's gospel. It names him, either that or Mark, one or the other. But we know this is Peter. Behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. And this, this has Peter written all over it. Even if you didn't have another gospel to, to verify that it's Peter, you know it's Peter. <laughs> this is just a Peter thing to do. Verse 52, Then said Jesus unto him, put up, the, put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. And then verse 53, I find interesting. I, again, this is my imagination You don't have to believe that Jesus did this when he said it. I think that he winked at Peter. (laughs) I think he gave him one of those those cheeky little winks, you know, just, uh, listen, Peter, I'm slipping in a quick lesson for you. Thinkest thou that I cannot now, and here's the wink, pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? (laughs) I think there was a little wink there. A little nod, say, hey, Peter, if I wanted to fix this, I'd do it with prayer. I wouldn't need a sword. That's, Peter, if you wanted to know what to do about this problem, that is what we had those three hours of prayer for before this time. Peter, put the sword away. You're not going to fix this through the power and might of your flesh. You're you're not going to fix this with natural wisdom. You're not going to think your way through it. Peter, the only thing that's going to help you prevail, help me prevail, is prayer. In this circumstance, it is so tempting to look at a situation and say, I know what to do. Let me just handle it. No need to bother God with this. And, and folks, I understand sometimes, sometimes the answer is obvious. And many times you will have to put feet to your prayers. Right? I'm not trying to tell you that everything in life you just stand back and say, God, I don't need to do anything about it. You fix it. Not everything gets taken care of like that. But in each circumstance, it's incredibly important that you learn to pray and ask God, what exactly should I do? Should I just handle this? Is this the time to take out my sword and just begin whack, whack, whack? Or God, is there another way you want me to handle this? You folks remember the story of David fighting the Philistines in the Valley of Rephidim. He goes out to fight them, whack, he takes care of the enemy. The enemy comes back the next day. You know what David does? what most of us would have done. He says, gather around, boys, get your swords ready. Here we go. 
And God stops him and says, ooh, that worked yesterday, not today. Wait here. When you hear the sound of the going in the mulberry trees, then go out and you'll get them. Say, what's the difference? David was an experienced warrior. He knows how to handle himself on the battlefield. And David could have gone out in his own wisdom and his own strength and tried to handle that. But, but because he was sensitive to God's leadership, God said, no, David, I know you're a capable man, but let me tell you a better way to handle that. Don't try to fix that on your own. Let me tell you how to fix that. You see, it's because of Jesus' time in prayer, he knew that he had to drink of the cup. Right? He asked the Father, is it possible to let the cup pass? Now we know the answer because of what happens in the next chapter. Jesus goes to the cross. So Jesus knows there's no way around this problem. These soldiers are going to arrest me. I am going to go to this mock trial. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. All of that is going to happen. Where did he solidify that? It, it happened in prayer. And because he knew this is how it's going to be, when the problem started, Jesus didn't fight against it. He said, I, this is something I have to go through. Had Peter also spent the right time in prayer, he would have been on the same page. And not tr Peter has good intentions, doesn't he? He's just trying to protect his friend. He's just trying to fix a problem. But had he prayed about it, he would have known. This is not something that gets fixed with the sword. You know, there's a prayer promise that Jesus gave us that if you pray with faith, you can have a mountain move into the sea, right? Remember that? What if you pray and say, God, please move this mountain, and God says, please climb the mountain? You see, it's, it's very important that we don't just look at one verse about prayer and think, ah, that's the whole thing. There's more to prayer than just one promise. There's more to prayer than just one lesson. Sometimes when you request with all faith, knowing that with God all things are possible, God, you are able to move the mountain. And if it will glorify you in the best possible way, this mountain is going to move, whatever that mountain might represent. But then you need to be careful to pray as Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. You can move the mountain, but if you'd rather me climb the mountain, I'll climb it. If I have to put a little extra work into it, I'll do that, but just direct me on how to handle this mountain. I think Peter would have taken out his prayer journal and said, I can't fix everything myself. That's the lesson he's learning. You know, we as Bible believers... I've found this to be very true in my life. We, we get familiar with the Bible, which is a good thing, right? But the temptation is this, to say, now I know what verse to apply in what situation. So every time a problem comes up, you know what I do? I just pull out my sword, my, my, my sword of the Spirit, and I just get to whack him, whack, whack. That guy's wrong, whack. That person's wrong, whack. This situation's wrong, whack. The church is doing this, whack. It, you see, and we just, we just start cutting off ears. <laughs> Listen, we start cutting off ears. People stop listening because we're quick triggered with our swords. 
We try to fix everything. Here's a Bible verse. Here's a Bible verse. Here's a... Amen, I'm glad you know your Bible. But have you asked God how to apply that verse? Have you asked God which verse that brother, that sister, that person needs to hear in that situation? When it comes time to answer, right? The Bible says answer not a fool. Then it says answer a fool. How do you know which one to do? There you're going to have to pray. You can't fix everything with your sword. You're going to have to know how to talk to God and listen to God. Point number three, as the passage continues, there's more to the lesson, I believe. Let's begin reading in verse 54. But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out as against a thief with swords? And staves for to take me. I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. I just want to slip it in. Knowing your Bible will help you in the prayer closet. Right? If the disciples would have understood, these things have to happen. The Messiah has to suffer. We can't avoid that. We can't get around that. We can't cut our way through that problem. It it would have helped them in this situation. It's going to help you in prayer to know what kind of things should I be praying about? What has God promised to do in various situations? It's going to help massively. But notice There was a failure on the behalf of the disciples to pray. And what it leads to, it says in verse 56, they forsook him and fled. Now you may not see an immediate connection between prayer and them forsaking the Lord. But I I think it'll come a little clear as we read on. Verse 57, and they that had laid hold on Jesus, led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. So point number three, followed afar off. Followed afar off. Failure in the prayer closet eventually and it leads to you following but not as close as you should. Are you still interested in the things of God? Very possibly. Peter was. He wanted to see the end. He wanted to see how it would turn out. But he's not as close to the Lord as he was. Something happened when, that, when those disciples failed to pray. We, we, know, we know how this story ends up, right? With Peter following afar off. Jesus is in there going through this mock trial. They're slapping him. They're ripping out his beard. They're blindfolding him, mocking him. Peter's outside, and then people begin to approach him. Aren't you one of his disciples? No. Well, you kind of look like one of his disciples. No. Yeah, you sound like one of his disciples. You're gal. Yes, I get. Blankety blank. No. And three times, you know how it ends, right? Three times. Peter denies the Lord. You know, 
A lot of people, when they look at this, they say Peter denied the Lord because he was scared. He was afraid that the multitude would also take him and, and treat him like they were treating Jesus. And I can appreciate that interpretation, but I think there's more to it than fear. Peter doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's afraid. D isn't it Peter that said just the day before this, Lord, I am willing to go to prison. I am willing to even die with you or die for you. I, Peter doesn't strike me as a guy who's filled with fear and now, oh dear, this little person, this little girl said that she knows me. No, 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 I'm not. That, that just doesn't sound like Peter, does it? You know what I think this is? Peter's confused because he, he expected Jesus to appreciate his zeal. I'm trying to save you and you told me to put my sword away. You told me to pray with you. Doesn't that mean you want the mountain to be moved? Doesn't that mean that the cup is going to pass? I think Peter is frustrated and confused. He doesn't understand the situation. And when they say, do you know this man? Well, I thought I did, but evidently not. I thought I had, I thought I had this whole Christian disciple thing figured out, but evidently not because... I'm not getting the response that I thought I would get. You know how many times people go into the prayer closet expecting God to do A, B, C, and instead they get X, Y, Z, and they say, I don't get it. This makes no sense. God, why aren't you responding to my prayers? Why aren't you answering my prayers? Why aren't you blessing my efforts in life? Am I not trying hard? Am I not swinging the sword valiantly on your behalf? Why aren't you happy with this, God? I think Peter is confused. Now notice, and I think, I think if, if Peter pulls out his prayer journal and makes another entry, failed to pray, ended up far off. Failed to pray, ended up far off. Couldn't you pull out your hypothetical prayer journal? And isn't that true? It's true in my life if it's not in yours. When I look back at my life at the times where I've drifted away and my fellowship with God wasn't as close as it once was or what it should be, there's always a correlation with my prayer. My prayer life has waned. My prayer life has suffered. Now, we always struggle with it, right? The flesh always hates it, but I... Those times when I really didn't put much effort into it, I find it always to, to work with the problem of drifting away. How do we make this right? Look at verse 75. Now, you know, I've, I've walked you through the story, so we're not going to read all of the verses. Just come down to verse 75. Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Now look what happens next. And he went out and wept bitterly. In, in one of the other Gospels, what you find in this story is that Jesus is inside the building where he's on this mock, going through this mock trial. And while the soldiers are slapping him and ripping his beard out and spitting at him, I mean, it's horrible. Peter is far off. He can still see what's happening. 
And I, I believe it's in Luke's gospel. The Bible says that Jesus looks out and locks eyes with Peter. And, and it's when their eyes lock that Peter runs off and weeps bitterly. You know what I like about this? It shows us there's a way to fix this problem. How do you fix it? If you've drifted off and your prayer life isn't what it used to be or what it can be, you know what you do? Lock eyes with Jesus. Just take a long look deep into his eyes. He doesn't even need to say a word. It will start to flood your mind and your soul. You'll start to remember all the blessed times you've had with Him, all the things He's brought you through, all the promises, all the commitments you've made to Him. I'm sure in a moment, in an instant, Peter's mind, his heart was flooded with all of these experiences and these memories, and he couldn't help it. He couldn't stand it. He had to run out. The Bible doesn't tell us where he went to, but I have a sneaking suspicion he ran back to the Garden of Gethsemane. I can't prove that, but it would just make sense. It makes good preaching if it doesn't make good teaching. Right? <laughs> I'm so glad that there is a way to fix a, a lagging prayer life. You just lock eyes with Jesus. You can get it right. It, it's from this story that something interesting, I think, happens in the Bible. And I'm sure later on in Peter's life, you would have seen this in his journal. I would have marked it in my journal for sure. You'll find, I, I call this Peter cubed. <laughs> you, you understand cubed? It's that little superscript three at the top, right? Peter cubed. There, there starts a, a, a run of threes in Peter's life. I don't know why it takes Peter three times with everything. It starts in the Garden of Gethsemane. How many times did Jesus come and find them asleep? Three times. How many denials? Three denials. Oh, it was about three weeks later after the resurrection that Jesus showed up in John 21 and said, hey, Peter, you love me? You know how many times he asked that? Three times. You know how many times Peter responded? Three times he said, I love you. You know I love you, Lord. You know what Jesus told him after the third, I love you? He said, follow me. Did you know that's the third time in Peter's life that Jesus made that official declaration to him, said, follow me, I'm going to use you. That was the third time. When you get into the book of Acts, do you know how many times we have a recorded sermon for Peter? Three times. Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 10. We have three of his sermons recorded. Do you know there's three times in the book of Acts you read about a multitude of people getting saved because of the preaching of Peter? For each of those sermons. In Acts 10, when God is opening the door for the Gentiles, using Peter to do it, Peter has a vision, right? How many times did the vision come to him? Three times. Three times. And Peter, because he's Peter, says, not so, Lord, not so, Lord, not so. Peter, haven't you gone through this before? <laughs> Don't you know better by now? Stop arguing with the Lord. But he says, I'm a good Jew. I will not eat green eggs and ham. <laughs> and, and right then, there's a knock at the door. 
You know how many men were standing at the door? Three men. And the Holy Spirit said, Peter, you catching on yet? You need to go with these guys. It's the strange run of threes. You know, the number three is a unique number in the Bible. It's the number of God. It is. And you know why, right? These three are one, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. It makes sense that three would be the number of God. I think God starts to work in Peter's life. Take your Bible, come to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to finish here. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 13. Peter's prayer journal. I think the next entry we're going to see is point number four on your outline. Fruitful and fulfilling lives. Fruitful and fulfilling lives. Remember, the disciples had asked Jesus, teach us to pray. These are not all of the lessons by any means. I, I, I don't pretend that it is. But these are certainly some lessons that Peter learned. He learned that even though he failed and struggled at prayer, that if he locked eyes with the Lord, Jesus would have him back. Things could be made right. And if Peter took time like he should in prayer, God could use him in some great ways. It's not just a fruitful life, but a fulfilling life. And I'm, I'm careful to put both of those words together, fruitful and fulfilling. What do I mean by this? God not only used them, it's fulfilling. See, the fruit is God using you. It's fulfilling because as you pray, you know, you hear from God. And God says, this is what I want you to do. Then you see him do it. You see him bring it to pass. There is nothing more fulfilling than that. Because, you see, if God just uses you by accident, you might be tempted to look at it and go, huh, is that everything that God wanted to use me for or did, did I maybe sell the Lord short? Whereas if you've prayed about it and God says, this is how I want this to go, this is what we're trying to accomplish, then when you see it happen, you go, oh, well, that's what God was trying to do. Great. Hey, I, I, don't, I don't need to constantly have this nagging doubt. Did I do enough? Did I do enough? Yeah. You did exactly what God expected. Acts 1 verse 13. This is, of course, after the resurrection. Jesus has gone back to heaven. The disciples are waiting for the Holy Ghost to come down. And it says in verse 13, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode Peter. James and John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. It's a colsace. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hostel, isn't it? <laughs> They're all staying in one room. <laughs> this is university life all over again. Verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren Jesus's physical brothers right his, they were the other sons of Mary this will be Jude and, and James they're all praying together 
They're all praying together. This is the foundation for the New Testament church. They gather together and they're praying. Do you see that? Look what comes right after that. Peter stands up, verse 15. In verse 16, 17, he says, Guys, I've been reading my Bible and I can see in the book of Psalms that one of us, Judas, had to betray Jesus and now we need to fill his spot. How did Peter know what to do next? They had been praying and reading their Bibles and said, here's what we do next to move forward. And they fill the spot. Acts 2 happens. The church just explodes and on you go. When you get to Peter's epistle, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, Peter writes this, but the end of all things is at hand. Hey, do you see how that's applicable right now in our lives? The end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Peter learned the lesson. Towards the end of his life, he knew what a difference prayer would make in somebody's life. You can see it in Peter. You can see it with Paul. They would constantly request and say, please pray for us. Brethren, pray for us. Pray that a door might be open for the gospel. Right? You've read these things in the New Testament. Pray for us, pray for us, pray for us. It's a lesson I've, I'm, I'm very glad that God reminds me of it because it's easy to lose sight of it. Because prayer is such a spiritual experience, sometimes we fail to appreciate what a difference it makes in our lives personally and in our church, right, in our ministries. Sometimes we fail to see what a difference it makes. I, I want to just relate one story in closing with you. Several years ago, I went to visit a member of our church in Malawi. Her name was Vida Banda. Very special lady. She was in her 50s when she got saved. We had led her son to Christ. He was in his 20s, Ken Banda. We discipled Ken. Ken led his mother to Christ. And then she came to church and got discipled, and she was a solid lady. Her husband was a very wicked man. He was a truck driver, and everywhere he went, he did what a lot of truck drivers do. He ends up dying of AIDS, and of course, he passed it on to Vida before he left. So Vida is now stuck with this. She didn't have an easy life. But once she got saved, she got so locked in. I went to visit her, and I, I sat down in her, in her sitting room there, very small little house. And it took her a few minutes. She was busy in the back. When she came into the room, I, forgive me if this sounds a little spooky, but the hair on the back of my neck stood up. Something was different. Man, what's going on here? Whew, something's a little different. Vida walked into that room and there was a, just a glow about her. I had seen her happy many times, but something was different this time. She sat down and I greeted her in Chiche when we chatted back and forth. How are you doing? How's life? And I said, Vida, I'm, I'm so sorry. I have to ask you, something's different with you today. What is going on? And she said, oh, pasta. I'm so glad you asked me. 
And then she began to tell me the story. She said, do you remember some months ago you taught about fasting and prayer? I said, yes. She said, I decided to try that. I said, okay. She said, you know, my health is not good, so I have to be careful. I said, that, that's smart. She said, so I fasted one day and then took a break. And I enjoyed it so much, I decided to try it again. So I, after a few days of food, then she said, I, I fasted two days, and then I took a break. And I liked that, and then I tried three days, and then I tried a week, and then I tried two weeks, and, you know, taking breaks in between. She said, then I went for three weeks and took a break. She said, now, I, I, if I, memory serves, she said, I'm on the 30th day of my 40-day fast. I understand, I did, not, I did not try to compel anybody to go for 40 days. But she progressively had worked her way to that. She was enjoying the time with God so much. She said, Pastor, it's so sweet. God lets me sleep for an hour. And then he gently taps me and says, Vida, it's time to talk. And we'll talk for an hour. And then he'll let me sleep for an hour. And then he'll gently shake me and say, Vida, it's time to talk. And then we'll talk for an hour and he'll let me sleep for an hour. And she said, oh, pastor, I pray for you. And I pray for your wife. And I pray for our church. And as, as she, she started to tell me what things she was praying for, and it started to dawn on me, those things that she was praying about, I had seen a massive change in those areas in recent days. And I had, it's, it's not that I was trying to take credit for it or look, it's because I, you know, worked it all out. I didn't realize those victories that had been won, those changes that had been made, the progress, the fruit that had, that had come up in that time, probably had very little to do with my efforts. It was right then that the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of my heart and He said, this is the source of the power. Mike, you're just a vessel. But the petrol in the engine is this dear lady tucked away in her prayer closet praying. It's a lesson that I've tried to hang on to. It's something that I would write in my prayer journal. Fruitful and fulfilling, it comes through prayer. You need the guy on the ground. You need the person out there planting the seed and watering, yes. But if you're really wanting to see God work in your life, bear that fruit. It's not going to happen without a consistent prayer life. Guys, the lessons that Peter learned, he didn't learn them overnight. Neither will you. Neither will I. As I mentioned earlier, you'll never see the entry in Peter's journal where he says, Aha! Figured it all out. Finished my, finished my course on prayer. Graduated. It's not in there. But wouldn't it be nice one day to get to heaven and open up your prayer journal and say, Look at what happened through talking with God. Look at what I've learned about God, conversing with Him, waiting to hear from Him. It's worth taking the time to learn these lessons. Let's all stand, if you would, please.
Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let's take a moment to pray. Folks, you don't want to wait until a Gethsemane moment to learn about prayer. You understand what I mean? You don't want to wait until life hands you a very urgent, desperate situation and now you try to figure out prayer. That's Obviously, you're allowed to pray in those times. But you need to hop into the prayer closet and just do it. So I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. I don't know how to do it. I don't, don't know how to listen. don't know what to expect. Boy, I hate to say it, but you just need to get in the deep end and start kicking and paddling and swim your way through it a little while. Maybe invite a friend or two out into the garden with you. Say, let's figure this out together. By the end of Peter's life, he was able to say, I've seen this and this and this happen because of prayer. He, he found the importance of it. I hope the same is true for all of us. We learn how to pray our way through life. Father, thank you this morning for reminding us of these lessons, how important prayer is, and thank you for being patient with us, God. We would like to know how to do this better. Father, we would, oh, we would love to know. We would love to know, Lord. We would love to know how to take and make the most of this prayer closet. Teach us, God, to draw nigh. Teach us, Father, please, to have that quality time with you. Thank you, Father, for manifesting your presence so many times in the coolness of the evening. We can hear the voice of the Lord walking. <laughs> what, what a tremendous thought. God, please help us to overcome the challenges this flesh gives us. And make some time with you. Lord, would you please help us to retain this lesson, these lessons that we've learned today. Not let it just be a, a church service experience, but something that carries us through the week and the weeks to come. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.